Please be seated. Good morning. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? When I rode up the coast on my motorcycle this morning at uh, between 6.15 and 7.15, it was overcast and beautiful in its own way with the ocean out to the west, but um, I was counting on the sun coming out before I went home. So I'm very grateful to, to see that. It's a delight again to be with you. Um, when I looked at these scripture passages probably six to eight weeks ago, um, I read this little section here about um, sell your possession and give alms, make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, for where the treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as a professional fundraiser, my heart just leapt with joy. <laughs> you know, I thought I could fill up the entire morning on that passage. And so I put the text away and didn't think about it because I thought, you know, that's simple for me. And when I came back to work on the sermon in the last couple weeks, for some reason it turned out that that's not what I'm supposed to preach about. So relax. There, there will not be one mention of money. None whatsoever. All right? Different topic entirely. You're going to hear plenty about that when the fall pledge campaign comes along. So you can wait until then. I hope nobody's too disappointed. My wife and I just returned from a little over two weeks of vacation. We have a, a home up in Ashland, Oregon, home of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival Association. Any of you people go to Ashland or know people that visit up there and see theater? Yeah, a few other, few other of you. Uh, we love Ashland. It's a beautiful place. The theater is one of the finest and largest regional theaters in the United States. The thing that we hadn't anticipated was uh, when we got there, we found out that the, there have been forest fires burning in the southwestern corner of Oregon now for weeks. And they're in this incredibly remote and rugged terrain, and fighting these fires is very, very difficult. So they've just been burning largely uncontained, and the prevailing winds take the smoke from those fires and they push it up into the Rogue Valley. So Ashland and Medford have been suffering just horrible uh, air quality issues. So after two weeks in, in Ashland, I now know more about the air quality index than I thought I would ever know in this life. If you have any questions about the air quality index, you just let me know, okay? Uh, and one of the reasons I got very familiar with that is because the air quality was so poor that the festival had to cancel some of the performances on their outdoor stage. Their largest stage is this uh, beautiful Elizabethan theater, seats 1,200 people, and you're just out under the glorious heavens. But, you know, when people are arriving with masks, um, it's not a good thing. And uh, when the air quality index reached the point where it said it was unhealthy, they will cancel the outdoor shows. And it was grim. So we missed a couple of performances. Fortunately, we were able to pick tickets for the, up tickets for those shows later in our vacation time, but the air was still thick and hazy almost all the time. We went one evening and caught a performance of Shakespeare's uh, seldom performed play, Cymbeline. 
And as we were walking home, I just happened to glance up to the sky, and lo and behold, there above us, I could see one star, just one lone star, kind of barely peeking through the smoke and the haze. And I thought, well, that's a far cry from the starry heavens that blazed over Abram's head when God said to him, look toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. And I thought, yeah, one. Yeah, that's it, one. No, Abram saw them by the thousands upon the thousands, and he believed. He believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Right now, at this very moment, the moon is littered with things that we have left behind from our various visits there. And as we gather here, the rover is trundling along on the surface of Mars, turning over rocks. The Voyager spacecraft is tantalizingly close to breaking free of the gravitational pull of our solar system and heading off into deep interstellar space. And yet it is a rare, rare night when any of us can look up and see the stars in all their glory. And I think we are much the poorer for that. I find it hard to spend quality time staring up into the night sky, looking at the billions and billions of stars and galaxies splashed across the sky like a mammoth Jackson Pollock painting and still sustain somehow in my heart the fantasy that creation is all about me. We live in a world that is all about instant gratification. What have you done for me lately? And in some ways, I think Abraham wasn't a lot different. I suspect that all those questions about who would be his heir was probably a thinly veiled attempt to figure out who was it who was going to take care of him in his old age. And when God said, don't worry about it, you will have more descendants than there are stars in the sky. I bet that the modern day Abraham would probably have said, but what about my 501k? Will my social security get a cost of living adjustment? Will I be able to keep my health insurance? I mean, let's get real here. We are not people who comfortably give ourselves to the long view, the big picture, or the vastness of God's vision for our lives. The great psychologist and psychotherapist Viktor Frankl had already achieved considerable success in his career prior to 1941 and before the onset of World War II. But by 1941, his theories had received international attention, and he was working as the chief of neurology neurology at Vienna's Rothschild Hospital, where he risked his life and career by making false diagnoses of mentally ill patients so that they could be spared as the Nazis euthanized 
the mentally ill. With his career on the rise and the threat of the Nazis looming over him, Frankel applied for a visa to come to America, and it was granted. But by then, the Nazis had already started rounding up the Jews and taking them away to concentration camps, focusing on the elderly first. Frankel knew that it would only be a matter of time before the Nazis came to take his parents away. He also knew that once they did, he would probably have a responsibility to be there with his parents and to help them through the trauma of adjusting to a camp. On the other hand, he was a newly married man with a promising career and a visa to the United States in his hand. He was tempted to leave, tempted to leave for America, to flee for safety, where he could further distinguish himself in his field of study. He writes that in one day, at a loss for what to do, he set out for St. Stephen's, the Roman Catholic Cathedral in Vienna, to sit, to think, to try to clear his head, to make a decision. Listening to the organ music, he said he repeatedly asked himself, should I leave my parents behind? Should I say goodbye? Leave them to whatever their fate would be here? Where does my responsibility lie? When he returned home, a piece of marble was lying on the table at his house. His father explained that it was from the rubble of one of the nearby synagogues that the Nazis had destroyed. The marble contained a fragment from the Ten Commandments. It happened to be the commandment about honoring your father and your mother. And with that, Frankel decided to stay in Vienna, stay with his parents, and to forego whatever opportunities for safety and career advancement awaited him in the United States. He decided to put aside his individual pursuits to serve his family and later to serve other inmates in the concentration camp at Auschwitz. The wisdom that Frankel derived from his experiences there in the middle of unimaginable suffering is just as relevant now as it was then. He writes, being human always points and is always directed to something or someone other than himself, be it a meaning to fulfill or another human being to encounter. The more one forgets himself, by giving himself to a cause to serve another person or to find another person to love, the more human he is. The pursuit of meaning is what makes human beings uniquely human. By putting aside our selfish interest to serve someone or something larger than ourselves, by devoting our lives to giving rather than taking we are not only expressing our fundamental humanity, but also acknowledging that there is more to the good life than the pursuit of simple happiness. Does happiness really lie in feeling good, as the hedonists think, or in doing and being good, as Aristotle and his intellectual descendants think? 
Human history suggests that feeling good is not enough. People need meaning to thrive. In the words of Carl Jung, the least of things with a meaning is worth more in life than the greatest of things without it. The great theologian and teacher of the previous century, Reinhold Niebuhr, in his book, The Irony of American History, tells us this. Now listen close. Like a lot of Niebuhr, this is pretty dense, but worth hearing. Nothing worth doing is completed in our lifetime. Therefore, we are saved by hope. Nothing true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we are saved by faith. Nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we are saved by love. And no virtuous act is quite as virtuous from the standpoint of our friend or foe as it is from our own standpoint. Therefore, we are saved by the final form of love, which is forgiveness. Now, one of my favorite movies is uh, Groundhog Day. Any of you, how many of you have seen Groundhog Day? All right. Now, I want you to know, I like Groundhog Day a lot, and it is not because February 2nd is my birthday. Okay? It really goes deeper than that. I actually read an essay this week that said that some religious leaders have gone so far as to suggest that it is the, quote, most spiritual film of our time, unquote. I'm not sure I'd go that far, but I'd go a long ways. So if you haven't seen it, let me a brief summary here. The movie stars Bill Murray, who plays a gentleman by the name of Phil Connors, who is an arrogant and egocentric TV weatherman who during a much-hated assignment covering the annual Groundhog Day Festival in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, finds himself repeating the same day over and over and over and over and over and over again. So... After, when he realizes this, after a period of indulging in extravagant hedonism, like ordering every dessert on the menu for dinner, uh, and various other kinds of just pleasurable uh, extremes, he becomes somewhat disturbed by this ongoing repetition and attempts suicide in a variety of creative and interesting ways, and he always wakes up the next morning to the very same day, again and again and again and again. It takes him a while, but he finally decides to devote himself to study and service and begins to use his vast experience of this one particular day 
to help as many people around this town as possible. He also uses the time to learn how to play the piano, how to be a, a great ice sculptor, and how to speak both Italian and French. And eventually, he crafts a report on the Groundhog Day celebration that is so eloquent and so profound that all the other TV stations turn their microphones to him. And finally, after squeezing all of the meaning, all the meaning that he possibly could out of this one day, he wakes up and it's February 3rd. Maybe if we give ourselves to squeezing all the meaning we possibly can out of the life that has been given to us by God. Maybe if we devote ourselves to learning and study and caring and acts of compassion and kindness and rescue and service, we too will wake up someday from the deep sleep of the ages to which we are all destined to discover that a new day has finally begun. A day when the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den, and they will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So be it. I invite you now to stand as we affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. Day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. 
he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the whole people of God and for all people according to their needs by saying, hear our prayer. For the whole church, that true to its calling, it may witness to the radical and boundless love of God and proclaim God's love in word and deed. O God of love and mercy, hear our prayer. For all the baptized and those whose faith is known to God alone, that we may embrace our lives and the lives of others with courage and compassion, unafraid in joy or pain, sickness or health. <clears throat> 